I've entitled the message for tonight, A Message to the Weary and Faint. A Message to the Weary and Faint. Now, you would think after he makes this glorious statement, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the majesty on high. You would think that with such an exhortation, we wouldn't need to be told not to be weary and not to be faint. You'd think that, wouldn't you? But look what he says. In verse 3, for consider him that endured such contradiction, hostility, trouble of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied, lest you be wearied. And faint in your own minds. Let me give you some other translations. Lest you grow weary and give up. Lest you be wearied in your souls being faint. Lest you be weary and discouraged in your souls. Lest you be weary and give up. Lest you be weary and become faint hearted. Lest you grow weary and lose heart. Have you ever been there? You know it's wrong. You know you have no justified reason for feeling that way. But still, here you are. Weary and faint. Disillusioned. Disappointed. Worn out. Burned out. Despondent. Depressed disenchanted, discontent, dissatisfied, disgruntled, let down, frustrated, discouraged, debilitated, jaded, drained, spent, dead. That's what that word faint means. Now, how can this be possible for a believer to have that kind of attitude? It's real easy for me to answer that question. It's called sin. Turn with me for a moment to Isaiah chapter 43. Hold your finger there and turn to Isaiah 43. This is one of the saddest verse of scriptures. Verse 22, 
This is God speaking. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 22. But thou hast not called upon me, O Jacob, but thou hast been weary of me, O Israel. Now what a sad commentary. You've not called upon me. You have been weary of me. How could we grow weary of the Lord? That's what he says to Jacob and Israel. You've not called upon me. You stayed away. You've actually grown weary of me and tired of me. How? It's what the scripture calls the flesh. Do you know that you, if you're a believer, you're no more holy right now than you will be in heaven? Think about that. Right now. You're no, you will be no more holy in heaven than you are right now. You sure don't feel that way. That lets us know to some extent how much the flesh can drag us down. It was said of Elijah by James, he was a man of like passions with us. Now think about that. Elijah, the mighty prophet of God, he was said to be a man of like passions with us. The same weak, sinful flesh that you and I have, subject to the same problems that we have. Elijah, a man of like passions. He's just like you are. It's hard to believe, isn't it? But it's so. He's a man of like passions. You see, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and he had that. It'll never rise above that. I think of 1 Kings chapter 16 or 18, that mighty contest with the false prophets on Mount Carmel, how they were all defeated and he slew them all. And in the chapter 19, he's afraid of Jezebel. He runs and he's so discouraged. He says, Lord, kill me. Just kill me. I'm no better than my father's things are no good. Just kill me. There's no point in me even living. You know what the Lord did? He made him go to sleep. Two times. He made him go to sleep. And he fed him. Sometimes improper rest and Improper eating can play a role in our weakness and fainting. The Lord had him sleep twice, and he fed him twice before his journey to Mount Oreb. And something else that we know about Elijah is what he believed was wrong. He said to the Lord, I'm the only one. I'm left alone, and everybody's wanting to kill me. I'm the only one. Was he? No. The Lord said, I've reserved 7,000 
men to myself that have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. He had the wrong, the wrong information, didn't he? That can certainly contribute to this fainting and this weakness. Elijah was wrong and he was faint. And I repeat, when James says Elijah was a man of like passions, he's saying he, has all, he had all the problems of the flesh mean you have. Elijah, the man that appeared to the Lord on the Mount of Transfiguration. What a special man, the greatest of the prophets. Elijah, a man of like passions as me. He's got the same problems that I do and that you do. Now, there can be so many things that cause weariness and fainting. I've already mentioned wrong information. Elijah, it's not like you think it is. Improper rest, sickness, that, you know, we can't separate ourselves from our bodies. You're sick, it's going to affect you. We live in these bodies, there can be chemical imbalances in your body where the body chemistry gets skewed and it, you can turn into a basket case because of that. That's so. There is mental illness, it's real. It can throw you into a deep depression. There can be difficult circumstances and trials. There can be traumatic events, disappointments with people, disappointments with the way things turn out. <laughs> you thought it'd be different. Disappointments with yourself, like the children of Israel who became much discouraged because of the way. I think of what the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse, or verse 1, chapter 1. He said, without were fightings, within were fears. That was his experience. He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7, we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Jars of clay, mud pots. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. He said, we're perplexed, troubled upon every side, perplexed, persecuted, cast down. But we're not distressed. We're not in despair. We're not forsaken. We're not destroyed. Listen to this cry of Paul. This man, inspired by the Holy Spirit makes this statement, and he wasn't being cliche. Oh, oh, from the depths of his heart, oh, wretched. That's, the, that's a strong word, isn't it? Oh, wretched man that I am. Weak. Weary. What's the cure for this? Well, you just need to have a more positive outlook. Come on, man. quit thinking it's the glass is half empty. Look at it, it's half full. Get a positive outlook. Maybe counseling or therapy. Maybe antidepressants. These things may have their place. I'm not speaking against those things. But there's nothing that can do as good 
as the consideration of him. Consider him. Wouldn't that be a blessing of God's grace if God would enable us truly to consider him? What could be better than that? To consider him. Now, on his way to setting down at the right hand of the throne of God, he endured continual contradiction, hostility, opposition, not only from his enemies, but even dealing with his disciples. You know that passage of scripture when he said to Philip, Philip, have I been so long time with you, and yet thou hast not known me? He said at another time, how long shall I suffer you? Now that's the Lord speaking to his disciples. How do you think he felt as a man when he watched all of them forsake him on the cross? Those who should have been with him were gone. He endured opposition continually against his enemies and even his friends, his disciples. But he endured all the way to the end. Having loved his own. Listen to this scripture. John chapter 13 verse 1. Having loved his own. Well, I'm so glad he's got a people called his own, aren't you? I want to be one of those people, don't you? Having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Now, the writer to the Hebrew says to these people who were becoming discouraged, they were being persecuted, they were thinking, is it worth this? We're losing our goods. They were, had so many disappointments like you and I have. He says, you have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Now consider, contemplate him, the one we're looking to. Now when he says looking unto him, and then he says consider him, I don't believe there's too much difference between the two, is there? If you look to him, you will consider him. And if you consider him, it will be looking to him. Now, real briefly, turn to Hebrews 1. Let's consider him. God, who at sundry times and in diverse manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days Spoken to us. He's the God who speaks. I love that. He's the God who speaks. By his son. Whom he hath appointed heir of all things. By whom also he made the worlds. Who being the brightness of his glory. And the express image of his person. And upholding all things by the word of his power. When he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Consider him. Chapter 2, verse 11. For both he that sanctifieth. He's the one who sets you apart. He's the one who makes you holy. It's his work. He does it. Both he that sanctifieth 
And they who are sanctified are all of one. This is speaking of the unity of Jesus Christ in his church. They're all one. They're not close together. They're one. The same uh, stem that goes through the vine goes through the branches. They're one. And here's what happens as a result of that. For the which cause, he's not ashamed to call them brethren. That's my brother. Those are my brethren. Chapter 3, verse 1. Wherefore, holy brethren. That's what the Lord calls you. You know why? You're a holy brother. That's true with regard to every believer. Holy. Be ye holy, for I am holy. The only way you can be holy is if you are holy. And every believer is a partaker of his holiness. He calls them holy brethren. Partakers of the heavenly calling. Consider. Consider. Ponder. Think about the apostle and high priest of our profession. Christ Jesus. What a high priest he is. He's not like these human high priests offering up blood sacrifices in some uh, tabernacle that nobody can see into. He's in heaven itself right now presenting his blood to the Father and making us continually accepted. Consider the apostle and high priest of our profession. Chapter 4. Seeing then, verse 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that's passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not a high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. I remember thinking, before I understood what that verse of Scripture means, how can he be touched if he's never sinned? Because he never sinned. How can he, be, how can he be touched by me feeling so forsaken and forlorn and depressed and my sin, my sin? He's felt all that, although he never sinned in himself. He's felt that much more acutely than you or I have because he experienced everything about sin but the commission of it. Do I understand that? Of course not. But when I am feeling so far away and so alone and so isolated because of my sin, this passage of Scripture says he's touched He's touched. He's moved to sympathy with the feeling of my infirmities. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Oh, consider him. Look in chapter 5. Verse 6, as he said in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, this is talking about Gethsemane's garden, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong cryings and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, and was heard in that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience 
by the things which he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the author of, what's that next word? Eternal salvation. Not temporary salvation. Eternal salvation. A salvation that never began. And a salvation that will never end. Consider him. Look in chapter 6, verse 19. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which enters into that within the veil. Wherefore the forerunner is for us entered. Do you hear that? The forerunner is already there, representing you. Even Jesus made a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Consider him. Look in chapter 7, verse 25. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the, what? Uttermost. Do you know that goes beyond defining that? Can't even give a proper definition to it. The uttermost. Consider him. He's able to save them to the uttermost that come to God by him. I wouldn't come any other way, would you? Simply being found in him. Chapter 8, verse 1. Now of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum we have. Such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the majesty in the heavens. There he is right now, and we have him. As our high priest. And look what he says in verse 12. He says. For I will be. Not I might be. Not I will be if. I will be merciful. Propitious is the word. To their unrighteousness. And their sins. And their iniquities. I remember no more. You know why I didn't remember him? Because there's nothing there to remember. He put them away. He's got a mighty good memory. And the only way he can forget something if there's nothing there for him to remember. Look in chapter 9, verse 24. For Christ did not enter into the holy place made with hands, which are figures of the true, but into heaven itself. Now. Right now. While me and you are sitting here looking at his word, Right now, there's a man in glory. For Christ is not entered the holy place made with hands, which are figures of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. What cheers me up? There's somebody appearing in the presence of God for me. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entered into the holy place every year with the blood of others. For then must he have often suffered since the foundation of the world. But now once in the end of the world hath he appeared. This is talking about his first appearing. 
to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin. Unto salvation. Chapter 10, verse 14. For, consider him. For, by one offering, he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified. Chapter 11, we have all these glorious examples of these men who the Lord gave grace to bear witness to us. Consider who he is. Consider him. Consider who he is. He's the son of God. He's God the son. He's the great I am. He's the man Christ Jesus. The God man. He's Jesus, the Savior. He's the Lord. He's the Lord. I love thinking of this. He's everybody's Lord. He's Lord of the dead and the living. Somebody says, he's not my Lord. Yeah, he is. You just don't know it. He's your Lord. You're in his hand. He is the Lord. He is the Christ, God's prophet, God's priest, God's king. Consider what he did. Let me tell you what he did. He gives a summary of what he did in John chapter 17, verse 4. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work thou gavest me to do. Now, that's what he did. He glorified his father completely. He honored the law completely. He glorified every attribute of God. And that work of saving his people from their sins, he finished it. It's already done. There's nothing for you to do. Relax. There's nothing for you to do. It's done. Consider he is where he is right now as we speak, seated. At the right hand of the Father. What's he doing there? He's ruling. Controlling. Sitting. His work being finished. Making intercession for his people. And that doesn't mean that I sin. He says, well, he did it again, but forgive him again. No, he, his presence before the Father says everything that needs to be said. He's waiting until he returns. Now, when King David was greatly in distress, you can read about this in 1 Samuel chapter 30, uh, he was living in a place called Ziklag, and the Amalekites had raided Ziklag, and they took off the 600 men's wives and children. And we read in 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him. Now, he was their leader, and they said, We need to get rid of this guy. The people spake of stoning him, because the soul of the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. 
There's always a reason to be encouraged, isn't there? As long as he is and he's on the throne, there's always a reason for the faint and weak to be encouraged. And I want to close by going to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Verse 9. This is the second time uh, Paul says this in his epistles. He said it also in 2 Thessalonians 3.13, but he makes this statement in verse 9, and let us not be weary in well-doing. You know, what's going on right now is well-doing. Hearing the gospel. Meeting with God's people. It's well-doing. Your encouragement to others. Let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season, we shall reap if we faint not. Now, I was listening to a message by Brother Mahan that he preached on this verse of Scripture in 1974. And the church had been in existence at that time as far as the local assembly for 24 years. And he was preaching on this passage of Scripture, not being weary and well-doing. And he, he made this statement. He said, when we started, we had, he gave the number of the people, kids. He said, 24 years later, half of those people no longer attend. I'm sure they have a good excuse in their own mind. They've got a good reason. But half of those people living here in town do not attend this church. And he said, the reason is they have become weary in well-doing. That's a very sobering thought to me. Let's see what led Paul to make this statement. Now look up in verse 1 of Galatians chapter 6. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, a sin, a trespass, bring him up before the board and excommunicate him, discipline him, expose him, show how bad he is, kick him out of the church. No. If a man be overtaken in a fault, can you understand that? How easily you can be overtaken in a fault, a trespass, a sin. Oh, it's a grievous thing. But if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual. Who's that? 
Everyone that's spiritual. Everyone that's been born of the Spirit. Everyone who is a believer. That's who the spiritual person is. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm spiritual. You know, people make that claim. Every believer is spiritual. No unbeliever is spiritual. Ye which are spiritual. Restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Don't you know that if you're tempted apart from God's grace, you will fall? You know that, don't you? That's why we pray, lead us not into temptation. I don't even want to be tempted. I, I, I know what happens when I'm tempted. Lord, let me not be tempted. Let me not be tempted. I know that I'm going to do what this brother did. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Verse 2, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I have many things that burden me about myself. You have many things that burden you about yourself. Bear one another's burdens. Now that doesn't mean let everybody know, you know, articulate to everybody, here's, here's what my problems are. Uh, that, that's not what, put up with one another. Your sin's a burden to you. Your brother's sin's a burden to him. Bear one another. Be ye kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Paul said in Colossians 3.12, Forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, as Christ forgave you, so do ye. Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now here's the law of Christ. Bear ye one another's burdens. For, I love this verse of scripture. For if a man think himself to be something, when he's nothing, he deceives himself. You know, there was a young man that had a very high opinion of himself and he was trying to act pious and humble and he came up to his pastor and he said, pray for me that the Lord will make me nothing. And the pastor said, you're already that. <laughs> you're already there. Own it. If a man thinks himself to be something when he's nothing. It, you know, there, there's something good about being a nothing. I'm a poor sinner and nothing at all, but Jesus Christ is my all in all. Oh, it's sweet to be a nothing because when you're nothing, Christ is everything. But if you think you're something... You've deceived yourself. Verse 4. But let every man prove his own work. And then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another. Look at yourself and don't look at someone else. Bear your own and don't add to somebody else is what he's saying. For every man, verse 5, shall bear his own burden. Verse 6, let him that's taught in the word communicate 
unto him that teacheth in all good things. That's talking about the support of the pastor. And that's more than financial support. Be an encouragement to him. Communicate to him. Verse 7, be not deceived. God's not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. You're going to get out of it what you put into it. And for he that soweth through his flesh, what's he going to reap? Corruption. He that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. So let us not be weary in well-doing. And this tells us what well-doing is, this passage of Scripture that I've just read. And then we have this promise. For in due season we shall reap. That's God's promise. Don't quit. Don't be wearied. In due season, we shall reap. If we don't quit. It's he that endureth to the end. That's the one who shall be saved. Consider him. How glorious he is. The fact that he's made himself known to you. That you see his beauty. That you trust him. He's given you faith. Consider him. You think you have a hard time with the people, the way people treat you? Become discouraged, hurt feelings, unappreciated and so on? Consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. Listen, he had a whole lot worse than you ever did or ever will do. Consider him that endured all the way to the end. He didn't stop. He endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. Lest you be weary and faint in your mind. It's a real reality, isn't it? It's easy for us to become weary and faint. But we ought not consider Let's pray. Lord, how beautiful and glorious and perfect your Son is. How beautiful and glorious and perfect his salvation is. Lord, how we thank you that he saves such imperfect, sinful people for your glory and for the love he bears to his own. Lord, we are weak. We're liable to faint. We ask that you would give us the grace at all times to consider him and to look unto him. In his name we pray, amen.
Matt, could you come lead us in closing him?